2: Hello and you're very welcome to your politics podcast from RTE News. I'm Paul Cunningham. Joining me today, we have Sandra Hurley, we also have Sinead Spain and shortly we'll be joined by um, David Murphy, our political coverage editor. Um, Sinead Spain, we had some strange things happening in the Dáil chamber a row over organic farming not necessarily that that is a bad thing but it went down pretty badly well, it went down pretty badly
1: this was a row in the Dáil during a debate on a rewetting proposal uh, which is a proposal coming from you... they want to try and um rewet some of the bogs in Ireland and it is only at a proposal stage at this stage it was being debated in the Dáil and Michael Collins got to his feet um he Took issue with being described by Minister of State, Pippa Hackett, as an organic farmer. Now there are a number of banned words in the doll that you can't use. You can't call someone a blackguard, Um I liar, didn't realize a liar, like things like that. I didn't realise that <laughs> organic concerns. farmer was amongst them. Yeah. But he took issue with being described as an organic issue farmer. Issue is the
2: polite words. Let's let's have a listen to to see what Michael Collins, the independent TD for Cork South West, had to say. The minister. Uh, used my name inside the doll on private information. She must have got only from her husband. I am not. I am not an organic not farmer. Correct the record of the doll, please. Correct the record. Excuse me. I have to correct because this the the minister uh, previously as well. You and you correct it times
3: because you checked the records. I'm not. And the only and way you've known this is previously when I was, your husband inspected my farm. And on you that and basis, you're using that private information, you and I you're and using I, that private information from the organic trust how to, you to, to point you the finger at me. I am not. You, you proved
2: to me, prove to me what you said before. Excuse me, that This lady has
3: spread mistruths inside the start I have every right. I have every right to question what has been uh, taught
2: true, I just. Your seat yes, sir. Resume your seat Well, that escalated rather quickly. <laughs>
1: it escalated rather quickly and then Michael Healy Ray got involved and it was a right old Barney that all was suspended twice uh, to try and restore some sort of order. And afterwards, Pippa Hackett issued a statement where she felt that the insults traded across the floor were highly personal. Um, she felt that the, it was very targeted to the abuse that was levelled at her. So a very bitter exchange between the two.
2: Sandra Hurley, what the Minister seemed to be saying was that you had said to me before that you were an organic farmer, so what's the problem?
0: Yes, exactly, and and I wanted to bring some clarity to this, so I did a little search through the archives. So I found a comment from Deputy Michael Collins at the Agriculture Committee on the 5th of June 2021, and he said... Many issues come before the committee of which I do not have much knowledge, but I do have knowledge of the organic sector because I was involved in organic farming until last year. My son has now taken over the farm, which he is farming organically. I have been farming organically for the past 20 years or so.
2: So, so what does that mean, Sandra Hurley?
0: <laughs> I think he is an organic farmer. I feel safe in saying it. He is an organic farmer. But what does it be- speak to? I think this ongoing row between some of the rural TDs and the Green Party, where the rural TDs uh, really, I think they feel it plays well for them to go on the attack against the Green Party. It plays well in their constituencies. And one of the somebody described it to me afterwards as um, somewhat performative, uh, In relation to Michael Collins and his reaction, a bit theatrical, perhaps, because it just didn't really add up, did it? Um,
2: Certainly didn't for me. David Murphy um, has just joined us. Uh, What did you make of it, David? I mean, we've had ding-dongs in the Doyle. Some of them have been very serious, some of them have been strange. This will be more on the strange end of things.
3: There's a kind of a broader tension, which is really this tension... Um, between the Greens and between rural Ireland, which the rural independents see themselves as representing. And this idea that perhaps in the eyes of the rural independents, there's just too much overreach and too much of the changes in terms of environment are focused on rural Ireland and they don't like it and they feel as if they're standing up for their constituency.
2: Yeah, that might be the general point, but in this specific one, he just seems to be clearly wrong. Maybe he doesn't remember, but what Sandra just read out there is, very clear.
0: He said he'd been an organic farmer for 20 years, David, so it seems pretty clear. <laughs>
3: it does seem pretty clear, and I'm not really sure what's wrong with being an organic farmer either. <laughs> right. In other parts of the country, it might go down well.
2: That's tough. Excuse me, let's draw that to a close.
3: Um, Sandra Hurley, abortion was back
2: uh, on discussions in committee and then that developed into a, a vote in the Doyle. we We've had a referendum on this issue, um, so why are we talking about it again?
0: Well, why is it back? It's because the original law that widened access to abortion back in 2018. There was always a three-year review built into that. Um, barrister Marie O'Shea was asked to conduct this review by the government. She uh, reported back earlier this year. We're familiar with her findings. We've discussed some of them here. She found a lot of problems on the operational side in relation to access to abortions. And then she also called for legislative changes, including um, abolishing the... Or, removing the mandatory element of the three-day wait period and making it optional. Uh, She also talked about better guidelines around uh, fatal fetal anomalies. But two big developments on this yesterday because she was in front of the Oireachtas Health Committee. And also, we had this People Before Profit uh, private members bill brought forward by Breed Smith, uh, where she is... is um she is calling for legislation to be brought in that, again, would liberalise access to abortion. It does go further, though, than the Marie O'Shea recommendations. And I think that's an important point. Breed Smith, for example, is talking about completely removing the current 12 week limit up to the point of viability, which she said might be 22 to 24 weeks. So that could potentially be quite controversial. But what happened last night in the Dáil on the vote on the second stage, government TDs were given a free vote on this Uh, The government had agreed to put down an amendment trying to park this for 12 months. That amendment fell. Uh, It wasn't carried. Then people were able to vote on the bill. And narrowly, the bill got through 67 to 64. And I think the votes were really interesting because um, nearly all the Green Party TDs 10 out of the current 11 voted to support the bill. Eamon Ryan abstained, as did two other cabinet ministers, Stephen Donnelly, the health minister, also, also Darrell O'Brien, the housing minister. Uh, other abstentions from John LaHart, Jim O'Callaghan and Paul McAuliffe, Christopher O'Sullivan and Emer Higgins, and Neil Richmond, the Fine junior minister, supported the bill. So I think a, a lot of interesting declarations there. Stephen Donnelly has been very careful to say that as minister, he doesn't have an opinion on the Marie O'Shea recommendation. Recommendations, but I think he, he he declared a certain interest there uh, in how he voted last night. I suppose the big point now is you know, what's going to happen next to this bill. It does go to committee stage. The government said today it wants the Health Committee to look at this. I've been speaking to some members this afternoon. They are they feel that they are backed up with the legislation as it is. Yeah. They have a program of work going forward. Um, the other point somebody made to me was that for something that would be involve very big changes. You don't do this by a private member's bill and then you might have government TDs out of committee tabling government amendments, it's really for the government to act. And that has been the opposition position the, the whole way along through this debate over, over recent weeks. Uh, and I think the view of many in the opposition is that the government now really has to act, it has to speed things up here.
2: And David, I guess when we're looking at on votes like this, um, quite often we would look at, say, Fianna Fáil, because when the referendum was there, there was a sizable number of TDs and senators from that party who were against the change, which subsequently went through by a two-thirds majority.
3: Yeah, I think you know there's been a shift within the some of the Fenefold ranks, whereby uh, some people had significant reservations really about the referendum. Uh, and we remember that famous picture of uh, key figures in Fenefold, including Jack Chambers, Michael McGrath, who effectively were uh, in the pro-life ranks. Um, it seems there's been a shift and a recognition among some of them that uh, there is a big change in relation to the way Ireland views this now. Um, I think that's one aspect of it. I think the other aspect of what's going on at the moment is the government are saying we've made a huge change when we introduced the legislation after the referendum and we don't want to come along and change it again. Uh, There is an alternative view, which is that as part of that referendum, they said there was going to be a review, the review has arrived, it says the shortcomings and the way it's working now, and here's the fix. And for the government to say, well, I don't know about that, you know, maybe that lacks a little bit of credibility, uh, whereby they did say they were going to review it and they did say they would introduce the fixes. Um, you'd have to think, perhaps, uh, the government is thinking do we really want to find ourselves in the abortion quagmire potentially in 18 months, uh, in the 18-month period leading up to a general election? Maybe they just want this to go away for the meantime.
2: What was your sense of Ishné? Because we did have a, a clear view being taken in committee that the decision of the Taoiseach after they received the report um, last month to refer to the committee was not something that they wanted to do. As Sandra said, one, they've got three bills which they're trying to work through as well. But secondly, there was a sense of this is something that the government should be taking a lead on.
1: It very much feels like a game of pass the parcel between the government and the committee. The government's very keen to put it to the committee and it's a, this uh, almost, I put it to you and I'll put it back to you and they're passing it around. They're saying to the committee, we'd like you to look at the report. We'd now like you to look at this bill put forward by Breed Smith to review it and then maybe come back to us with recommendations, pushing it further down down the road. The committee, I think, is wise to what the government is at. The committee is pushing back on that and saying to the government, it's actually your job to make the decisions. We can make all the recommendations we like, but it is your job to make the decisions. So I think that the, the committee um, will resist... A, a lengthy hearing period where they look at the bail and where they, they look at the report. Yeah.
0: And some more interesting comments also from Marie O'Shea at that committee yesterday. She was asked by uh, the Fine Gael Senator Martin Conway about the comments of the Taoiseach and that uh, the public comments they made about her report. The Taoiseach, Leo Radker, we remember, said he was reluctant and uncomfortable to go back so soon with changes. His view was that, you know, they had they had introduced something and it was too soon to change it. The Taunushta, Michal Martin, had said something similar and Marie O'Shea said that those comments were disappointing. She said it would always be the case that when you bring in a very big sort of change in the health service that you would kind of refine it. You'd have to make it better. There would be issues with it initially. She was also asked if there was any changes made to her report, any pushback from government. And she said, no, that's interesting. And she said that the health minister really, she felt, had received it very well. So there seems to be that difference between the view. Uh, so we now have many different views in cabinet. I think you've got the health minister, Stephen Donnelly, who seems judge- by his actions last night, more open to introducing changes quickly. We've got the Green Party ministers on board there, but we've got different views then perhaps from the, uh, from, uh, the Taoiseach and the Taoiseach.
2: Just one last one, and I think it's a, it just uh, to get another um, side to this. We did hear from Padre Tobin, who was not a member of the health committee, but went in and, and by right allowed to ask questions. And he was asking questions of the um, two witnesses or, 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 or invited guests. And this was also picked up by the pro-life campaign. Where were they going?
0: Yes, Padre Tobin was asking about whether in in any of the data there was sort of research, uh, very detailed research conducted as part of this report whether the, they had spoken to women who might have changed their minds after that three-day waiting period, so between those medical appointments. And the researchers said that uh, the women who had come forward to them, none of them had changed their minds, so they simply didn't have people who fell into a potential cohort there. So we don't really know. There's no hard data about the numbers there. Um, it, it is an interesting point, and I heard uh, Lisa Chambers at the Fianna Fáil senator speaking last night. She is somebody who is very much on the repeal side of her party, very much pushing forward uh, three or four years ago when this whole debate was going on. And she said that she felt that Padre Tobin had made some interesting points there. She also thought it was too soon to go back and bring in changes to abortion. So I think it's really, it's, it's uh, kind of fascinating because this just isn't black and white there's real shades of opinion
2: here and it'll come back it'll come back to committee and then it'll also come back to the Doyle once it goes to committee stage let's move on one of the other big stories um, David Murphy related to SiteServe. I'm sure if you did a poll on the streets and asked people what is SiteServe and what does it all mean you get lots of answers or maybe silence Um, what is SiteServe? what on
3: earth was going on before we get to the conclusion Okay, so in uh, 2012, Ireland economically was in a very different space and there were lots of companies going under, lots of companies struggling with debt. One of those companies was a a company called Siteserve and it was completely overwhelmed. But it's at its heart was something that could be a very successful business. It fell into the hands of IBRC Bank, formerly Anglo-Irish Bank, and they had to sort out this company. And they put it up for sale and it was sold to Dennis O'Brien uh, for 45 million euro. But as part of that deal, um, 118 million euro, which was owed to the bank effectively owed to the taxpayer because it was a state-owned bank, that was written off and that was highly controversial and there were all sorts of rumours that there were other people willing to pay more money. Huge pressure came on the government in 2015 when there was some information leaked to the TD, uh, Catherine Murphy of the Social Democrats. She raised big questions in the Doyle. huge political pressure came on so the government set up a commission of investigation to find out did the taxpayer get full value for money. Was the sales process conducted properly? Investigation was supposed to go on for a year, took seven years, supposed to cost 4 million, cost 19 million euro, we found out this week. It did uncover serious shortcomings with the sales process on the side of the bank, raised major questions about how it was all done, but it didn't make any findings against Dennis O'Brien. So um, the final report came out this week and um, in that final report it showed how much it all cost but it also showed that a lot of the things that this commission was asked to investigate didn't stand up to scrutiny. And it raised major question marks over anonymous information given to TDs. And those remarks, that observation was seen as being targeted at Catherine Murphy. Okay,
2: I'm going to come back to you in relation to Catherine Murphy and Dennis O'Brien and the exchanges they had. But Sandra, just on this issue of terms of reference, Mm -hmm. because as a long political watcher, we often see TDs and senators standing up and saying, we need to have a tribunal inquiry, a commission of inquiry into this. In this particular case, it would seem that Um, it was established and the terms of reference just weren't good enough.
0: Yes, uh, Justice Cregan's report really had some very pointed criticism about the terms of reference and I suppose these are drafted by government but they have to be passed by the Oireachtas as well. Uh, He said that when setting up a commission of investigation you needed to have clear and focused terms of reference Uh, and he said in relation to the terms of reference for the uh, IBRC inquiry he took issue with this term, not commercially sound. And he said this was open to different interpretations. And he said that it had added years to the completion of the report because that would have been legally contested by various legal representatives. And we know David was speaking about the costs of the 19 million uh, euro, 10 million of that went on legal costs, as it generally does when you're looking at inquiries. Uh, so I think that that is something really that the, the Oireachtas would have to bear in mind in the future. He also had some suggestions um, about commissions of investigation in general. We know this is the model brought in by Michael McDool when he was Justice Minister back in 2004. It was supposed to cut, cut legal costs by um, carrying out inquiries behind closed doors, different Boss. to a tribunal. Boss. But, uh, as Justice Cregan said, it's really, it's really impossible to keep the legal costs down. He suggested that... Um, you could have a permanent commission of investigation, so you keep the staff and the infrastructure, that might help. But he also said that it's impossible to conduct a commission into, uh, of investigation into a matter of urgent public importance while complying with the requirement to do this quickly. And also what he said were the onerous requirements of fair procedures set out by the courts and the original Commission of Investigation Act. So... As you said, politically, we hear of calls for inquiries all the time. It looks like there's going to be one into some of the issues raised by the Women of Honour Group. Uh, how is that going to be conducted? Because our recent history tells us that these go on for way
2: too long. And just to follow on with that, Sinead, I mean, so... we. Committees aren't allowed to investigate anything, Uh, commissions have not proven to be as effective as we wanted, tribunals we know do continue for an incredibly long time, so is it the case that we just don't have the political or legal infrastructure to be able to deliver answers when people say answers are required?
0: That would
1: appear to be the case and would appear to be what Justice Cregan was saying in his report, that if we had some sort of a permanent commission that would be fully staffed, fully stocked with lawyers, with the backup required, with the right kind of legal infrastructure, that this would be the the way forward. We don't seem to be able to carry out investigations in a timely fashion. We don't seem to be able to carry out investigations in a cheap fashion either. Not that you should never say cheap, but maybe good value might be the the phrase that would would better capture it. (laughs) Well, cheap would imply it's not, um, it's maybe not robust. But there certainly does have to be value for money for the taxpayer when we do have these kind of investigations. Otherwise, there's no point. And also, they need to be carried out within living memory. We need to be able to remember what it was about by the time they are Indeed. laying their final report by the, time the report before comes, the David, yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: David, Murphy, David Murphy, if I can come back to the celebrity death match In the left corner, you've got Dennis O'Brien. In the right, you've got Catherine Murphy, both making statements in the aftermath of this report. What did we learn?
3: Um, So, well, in the first instance, uh, Dennis O'Brien has been highly critical of Catherine Murphy and her use of Doyle privilege uh, down through the years in relation to this. He said that he has uh, refuted the allegations she made under Doyle privilege. He said the final report this week effectively exonerates him and shows that a lot of this stuff, which was based on anonymous information, um, shouldn't have really been, uh, it shouldn't have been in the terms of reference for the inquiry. He said that uh, Ms Murphy made totally false and malicious allegations, which have cost the state, private companies, and individuals in excess of fifty million euro. Um, so, in response to that. Uh, Catherine Murphy said because there were findings in relation to the overall deal which were highly critical of the way it was carried out and found that potentially the state could have got 8 million euro more than it did she says that she makes no apology for raising these matters of serious public concern under privilege in the Doyle and the Sitesurf deal was a matter of serious public concern. She says that in the time she spent as a TD, she's only used parliamentary privilege very sparingly and on very rare occasions and always in the pursuit of transparency, accountability and in the national interest.
2: So given the commission wasn't definitive... Would it be fair to say that both of these two um, people are entitled to their views because it's it's an open
3: uh, it's an open result? I think they're entitled to their views. I think, however, um, there are a few tricky things about this. And the first is that frequently governments get themselves into a bit of a bind. And the way out of have an investigation, get an external person in, a judge, a senior counsel, and suddenly the heat will go out of that political controversy. So how do you do that without costing millions and going on for years? And so Leo Varadkar was asked about this in the Doyle and he said this week, well, look, if it's, business transactions, maybe we can use the new Corporate Enforcement Authority, which was set up last year. And this is a kind of um, uh, an enhanced version of the corporate watchdog, which has existed for some time. Now, that will work well with business transactions like Siteserve, perfect for that kind of thing. However, if you're in a situation like Sandra mentioned, for instance, women for honour, that kind of thing, you can't use the corporate watchdog to do that. You're going to have to find some other mechanism. So effectively, Leo Varadkar has said it's going to be up to the Minister for Justice. It's changed today. Minister of Justice is now Helen McEntee. Top of her in-tray is going to be... How are we going to conduct an inquiry in future to get to the bottom of something and not take years and spend millions of euro? And that is a very tough question. Um, Spain
2: um, the second item which might be on our agenda is something about um, body cameras, facial recognition technology. We had a very energetic um, minister, Simon Harris, who's trying to get over the line despite Green Party objectives. And he came up short.
1: Yes. Yeah, so there's two parts to this, really. There is a piece of legislation brought forward by Simon Harris um, bringing about, giving effect to body cameras for Gardaí. um So that was making its way through the doll. And then by way of amendment, he added to it this piece about facial recognition technology. And this is controversial technology. Civil liberties groups around the world have concern about it. Now, some police forces do use it, but some police forces don't use it because of those civil liberties concerns. And the Green Party in particular has well-flagged concerns about this particular aspect to the bill. So they have made it very, very clear today. Patrick Costello was on Morning Ireland saying that they will not support this bill because of this piece in it. They're very happy with the body cameras piece, but they're not happy with this. And part of their difficulty is that it's been brought by way of amendment. So if this was a standalone bill, it would go through all the various processes in the Oireachtas. So it would start a committee or it would start a pre-legislative and go through committee and there'll be opportunities to bring forward the scrutiny bring forward experts you know cast the net wide and talk to a a number of different people about their thoughts on it and uh, so you know you could get a more nuanced view of it but because it's been brought by way of amendment they're really not happy with that and they I think they feel that it's been trying to it's been almost rushed um, because of the way that it's been brought forward. And
2: Sandra Hurley, this is one where the you're seeing the green gunslingers. They're mm. coming into town with their six shooters and they're not standing down. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, it does seem that they're not going to back down on this. And it's interesting. We're just we're at that point where the Greens are picking some issues. They're sticking to them. And you can see that division in government over this uh, also abortion, as I spoke about earlier. And also this whole rewetting the bogs. Now, interesting development in the last couple of days. The, at the European level, the European People's Party walked out of the talks over there. The EPP is aligned with Fine Gael. Leo Bradker is on the record as saying he, he believes this uh, this proposal goes too far. So you can see a real divergence opening
2: up there. Uh, David Murphy, um, there was trouble in paradise. Um, there was trouble in paradise. The coalition yeah. has been rolling along and then suddenly there's this strange, if not bizarre, and fallout between Finnegale and Finnefol, and then suddenly, somehow, it all just went whoop,
3: disappeared on Monday. Surprise, surprise. Yes. Explain. This, well, this is a really interesting one. You see, I think that um, you know leaders of various parties in government, particularly Finnefol, Finnegal, key people, have been asked frequently on uh, RTE shows and other shows, what's the difference between Finnefol and Finegale? And some of them have struggled. They struggled with those answers. <laughs> That's not great, really. <laughs> so <laughs> I think to a certain extent, somewhere in um, the corridors of power, someone said, you know, we've got to come up with something. We've got to come up with something that makes a difference between Fianna and Fine Gael. So they came out of the traps hard and fast, the Fine Gael people. They wrote this article in the Irish Independent calling for tax cuts of €1,000. Way, way, way before the proper budget negotiations get underway. Usually the budget negotiations uh, are... You've covered a few of them. I've covered a few. Yeah, I've covered a lot of them. Um, uh, They get underway really after you have the summer economic statement, which happens in July. That sets out really how much money do they have and how much wriggle room do they have. And then after that, you have all the moving and shaking in terms of the budget. But way before that, in May, we had... Three junior ministers from Finnegale writing this this article, and people expected maybe you know Finnegale just shut this down, but instead they dug their heels in. And they said, "Yeah, you know this is a key priority for us," and Finnefol reacted with Michael McGrath expressing some displeasure at this manoeuvre by Finnegale, and in a way Fine Gael managed to carve a little bit of territory out for themselves. And not only did they do that, but they also said, uh, and Finafol, they they're the kind of party that look after things like social welfare and making sure that the pensioners are going to be looked after in the budget, that's their thing. So they did this interesting little maneuver to say what they're about, and also to say what their coalition partners are about. Sandra, I suppose what makes this a little bit different,
2: uh, an article by three junior ministers, nearly so what, it's when Leo Varadkar and Micheál Martin both got involved and the person who they were both watching was Michael McGrath, the finance minister, the new finance minister, the new finance minister making his first budget.
0: Yes, uh, I think it was a curious one. It did feel very uh, sort of manufactured early on, I think. But it, it absolutely suits both parties to keep it rolling for a couple of days. Fianna Fáil, just when you thought it was over towards the end of last week, Fianna Fáil uh, put out some stuff to various newspapers saying Fianna Gael got their figures wrong. So that was really annoying to Fianna Gael. And then Leo Radker came out. He did an interview at the Irish Times and he kept it rolling as well. Uh overall however I wouldn't be surprised at all if the income tax cuts in the budget amount to pretty close to what Fine Gael is saying so perhaps my suspicion all along is that Fine Gael simply wants to get the credit for uh, proposing this measure even though we'll have to be so agreed cynical. by all three parties uh, but they all want to carve out their, their own uh, you know cater to their own constituencies Fine love talking about tax cuts
2: Well it's it I mean Fine Gael talk about tax cut, nothing new Sinead Spain um, it's in the programme for government so there's no surprise and Fianna Fáil are supportive of it themselves. I suppose one thing which would be fascinating to watch is that Michael McGrath, the finance minister, is also an accountant. He's going to want to put his stamp on it and he's not going to let any junior ministers get in the way of doing that either.
1: I think so. And it did start out as a way of, you know, carving out a difference between each of the, the parties in government. But as the week rumbled on I think there was a bit of a niggle I think it did get under people's skin I think some of the Fianna Fáil backbenchers saw it as a direct attack almost on Michael McGrath ahead of his first budget and almost you know you've had the purse strings for long enough Fianna Gael thanks very much we're in control now so I think maybe amongst the junior ranks there was a bit of pushback there and I think it did rankle a little bit and then there's also Michael McGrath has been talked about in terms of a, a future leader of Fianna Fáil maybe the next leader of Fianna Fáil so he ha- he really had to sort of slap down his credentials there you know he couldn't be dissed in public um, I think it was an important one for him that he had to push back on it a little bit and part of the issue was that Jennifer Carol McNeill was one of the signatories to the letter she is a junior minister in the Department of Finance you know
2: and you a Fina Gaylor, too.
1: And a Fina Gaylor. But you would imagine if you want to start that budgetary discussion, you can trip across the corridor and have a little chat at the water cooler or or whatever, you know, um, or maybe at the cappuccino machine. I'm sure it's much <laughs> yes. fancier in the Department yes. of Finance. Um but yeah. I do think that it did rankle. But I I think it's gas that last week that was the issue. It was Fina Fall and Fina Gael. Now this week it's Fine Gael and the Greens there's a sort
0: of an end of term feel around the place
2: or beginning that, beginning of an election cycle yeah, the, I think yeah.
0: it's the point in the life cycle of the government where the parties are all realising we had to be united in government yeah. now we've got to carve out our own identities again and that makes it more fractious there's only going to be more of this as we go into all the elections
2: That sounds like a good note to draw a halt there was some interesting stuff on international security and defence policy but um, given there's going to be um, meetings happening around the country you might do that more to detail next time so I'd like to thank my guests David Murphy Sandra Hurley and Sinead Spain thanks for listening to your politics podcast O'Neill Lawler will be back next week see you then